Well, welcome to Like Flint Radio. In this episode, I'm joined by Chris White of Nowhere to Run and Revelations Radio Network to discuss the September Convergence. Our conversation covers a lot of ground, including Mosaic Law, the modern-day Sanhedrin, the Shemitah, the Rapture, and the Day of the Lord, and much, much more. So strap yourself in. It might get a bit bumpy for some, but it will definitely be interesting for all. Let's go now to Chris White and the September Convergence. All right, welcome to Like Flint Radio. I'm your host, GK. You can find us on the web at www.likeflintradio.com. On the line with me, I have Chris White. Chris, welcome back to Like Flint Radio. Oh, it's good to be back, GK. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. I really love what you're doing. Uh, Thanks for making the time, Chris. Um, It's been a while since you've been on Like Flint Radio. In fact, um, this will be episode 40, and the last time you were on was episode 2. So if you wouldn't mind taking the time, can you tell our audience what you've been doing in the last couple of months, say, and um, what's going on in Chris White's world? Well, sure. Um, well, I, to, to be honest, there hasn't been a whole lot I have been doing. Uh, after I got done um, publishing the last book that I did, I pretty much took a bit of a break. I started doing a, um, a verse by verse study on the book of revelation. Um, and in the midst of that, we, uh, my wife and I ended up moving, uh, across town basically to another, another part of town. And, uh, just for various reasons, cost of living was better. And we were paying like $200 a month for satellite internet and lots of reasons we decided to, uh, to move. Um, so that kind of, put a little bit of a, a, a issue in terms of putting out more uh, stuff, plus with our work and stuff, just things have been busy. But in, ad- in addition to that, um, you know, I when doing the Revelation study that I was doing, and really um, a lot of things, I felt like I was just kind of going through the motions a little bit, trying to think of topics to do just to do them kind of thing, which is... Um, which is good, but it's not really what I have had been doing for the last uh, several years. Uh, the last several years, I just had these topics and things that I really felt I needed to say and to talk about. But it, to to be blunt about it, I feel I feel like I've said all that I wanted to say, and a lot of the other stuff I felt uh, to just do was kind of mm, artificial a little bit, and. Um, so I, so I kind of just took a little bit of a breather just to kind of figure out what to do. So I've been doing a lot of domestic stuff here and mostly just kind of running through some thoughts about what kind of big projects to do. But to be honest with you, I haven't settled on anything and, and really just right now kind of enjoying the the few months off, but I do plan on getting back into it. And I do have some, uh, things I'm excited about doing, but for right now, I'm just kind of, um, you know, taking care of the, the normal stuff and, and in the Revelations radio network and all the mailings and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's just uh, domestic stuff for the, for the here and now. 
Well, that's not a bad place to be in after a while of um, hard uh, work at the grindstone. Um, but um, there are some of us who are um, looking looking for topics to do, like you said. Um, but um, but I'm I'm just so glad that uh, you've had a bit of bit of downtime and and also to hear that there is some more stuff in the in the pipes. And um, before we finish up here, I'm going to ask you for a scoop, but I don't expect one. But I am going to ask you for one, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> like what kind of things I'm I'm thinking about doing? Yeah. I, I, well, I, I was plan I was planning on finishing with that. Can we finish on that? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Let's let's keep our uh, audience in suspense. We'll finish on 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 a scoop. Um, and I didn't set this up, by the way. I've just dropped this on on Chris. I just you know popped it out there. The, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on, Chris, was to catch up, but also to talk about what you might call this September convergence. Um, you know, there's been a lot of chatter around the place about a list of say 26 27 28 events that are set to play take place in September 2015 and um October 2015 and I wanted to talk to you about those um have you heard about them taken a look at them yeah um I definitely have and it's it's become a lot bigger than I was kind of anticipating right. um in a lot of ways it's it's sort of more of the same um you know there's always a thing like this on the horizon in the yeah. uh, sort of modern Christian conspiracy world. Uh, this one has a little bit more teeth, uh, not necessarily because of the the claims, but really because of the popularity of the books that uh, it's ultimately based on, which is uh, Jonathan Kahn's Shemitah and the Blood Moons thing yes. um, with Mark Biltz and John Hagee. A lot of those two kind of converged a little bit, right. um, and it's not really. I mean, and if you think about the 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 um, the best selling nature of those books, we're talking about millions of people have read Jonathan Kahn's Shemitah and the um, you know the Harbinger, his other book, <clears throat> and as well as the Blood Moons book. I mean, those have been the most popular selling books for the past whatever it has been two years or something. So because those books have um, kind of a deadline both of them you it's not surprising to see this convergence and, and really i think for in a lot of ways uh the blood moon thing which has been going on since you know the first blood moon was uh in 2014 early 2014 wasn't it yeah and um and so really nothing has happened with that and we're getting down to the blood moon wire here we've got the last blood moon this month and you know something's got to happen because it hasn't really panned out so i think that in a lot of ways bilts and others have really been banking on uh jonathan khan shmita theory because it's their last hope for not being a, a you know a false prophet so they have had to do some funny business to try to bank on this whole September thing and the end of the shmita which we'll get to and i i suppose in a minute so i i, I feel like I feel like it's really a last ditch effort in a lot of ways to make something out of the blood moons thing. And that included sort of an incorporation of Jonathan Kahn's thing. Right. And um, what I was going to say, I think we should let our audience know we're actually recording this on the 8th of September. Um, now this list is widely available out there. If you just go out, all I did was when I, when I picked up on it, I just typed out on, on my favorite search engine um, you know, September convergence, list of September 2015 events. That's all I typed. 
and you you will find this list of um of events. Now the first one to take place. Um, what what we might do is um hit a couple of them and talk about them. There's one that's due to take place on the ninth of September. So for well for both of us because we're actually both on the same day uh, here at the moment. Um, and that's tomorrow, uh, September nine, and the event is. Uh, the date the Jewish Sanhedrin plans to put President Obama on trial for, for promoting genocide of the Jewish people with the P5 plus one agreement with Iran over the nation's nuclear weapons program. So I personally dug into this a little bit, uh, dug around on this one, and I just want to read a little bit about this because it might be surprising to find out who this Sanhedrin is and what they say. So the little digging I did, and I'll read this to you. A re-established and self-declared Israeli Sanhedrin is calling U.S. President Barack Obama to trial for what it says are criminal offences against the Jewish people following the passage of the Iran nuclear deal. The modern-day Jewish High Court, made up of 71 Judaic scholars and rabbis, planned to bring the American president to trial on Mount Zion on September 9, 2015, four days before Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the heavenly judgment days for the Jewish nation. According to a letter obtained exclusively by Breaking Israel News that was sent to the president, the Sanhedrin calls out Obama for deliberately promoting genocide for the Jewish people. The judges of the Sanhedrin call on the president to immediately announce that you are repealing and suspending the agreement. Now, um, I dug into this a little bit and... We find a little bit of their track record, and it's quite alarming, to be totally honest. Um, if you take a look at what um, the Rabbi Stein, who's the secretary of the Sanhedrin, said about the last time they pulled a stunt like this was when they tried to, uh, when they put Pope Francis on trial in absentia for his recognition of a state of Palestine. Right. Um, this is what he said, and this will this will be quite alarming to most believers that hear this, and this is why uh, my little bit of digging says we shouldn't put much credence in this lot. Okay, so I'm quoting him. God in heaven is listening and obeys the Sanhedrin. I'll read it again just in case you missed it. God in heaven is listening and obeys the Sanhedrin because the Torah interpretation is in the hands is in the hands of the Sanhedrin here in this physical world, not in the heaven, in the hands of the angels. So uh, right away there you can see that for Christian believers, um, this would be something that they wouldn't have a bar of. What do you think, Chris? Well, the modern Sanhedrin, the sort of self-appointed Sanhedrin, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, is yeah. I mean, we could talk about its its illegitimacy, mm. um, but you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff that was in the intertestamental period, you know, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and stuff like that, they were you know they were they weren't uh, uh, appointed kind of they kind of appointed themselves too, but they did have a, a measure of credibility. Let's say, I mean, Jesus talked to. Uh, you know, both of them and, and recognize their positions and stuff like that. But I, so in terms of their validity, we can, you know, it's sort of a pass. But the I, I don't think that I, I think that uh, the more important question is, do um, does it mean anything? I mean, obviously, they got another thing on this list is they're bringing a, a Pope 
you know, Francis uh, to trial again. And what is it? The 20th or something like that. Um, and, and of course, Obama is not going to go there. The, and Pope Francis is not going to go there for all intents and purposes. This is a, a group of self-appointed judges that have absolutely no power. Whatever they do judge will have no effect on Obama or Pope Francis or probably even the state of Israel because the state of Israel is kind of, you know, doesn't necessarily agree with these uh, guys or, you know, there's a ton of debate in Israel about whether these guys have any power or what are obviously don't speak for them, you know, kind of thing. So this is one of the things on the September list. That's just, I, I feel like, you know, you, they, they needed something to happen in September. So they did a search what's going on in Israel.com, you know, list every event in Israel in September. Right. Just let's have them all out here in front of us and let's pick a few of them. And this is, one of them that they picked that it probably goes on, you know, in October and the next, you know, five months, the Sanhedrin is going to be pulling all kinds of stuff. We're going to put, you know, somebody else on trial that's not going to show up and we don't have any authority over and that's not, nothing's going to happen of it, you know? And even if, even if this was all totally sanctioned by God and God was, you know, at the Sanhedrin uh, trial in spirit and, and caring about what they had to say, uh, which is, a big if, you know, because a lot of these things we're going to get into is, you know, this sort of idea that uh, the 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 modern state of Israel is, uh, you know, God is um, uh, accepts the Mosaic law still and is still like, you know, 100 percent on board with the Mosaic law. And as long as they fo- follow the Mosaic law, you know, they're good, which is uh, not what the New Testament teaches. So anyway, the, and, even and, if all, and whoopsie, there goes half our listeners. Well, yeah, well, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding, Chris. <laughs> well, no, I, I do, I do want to, uh, you know, soften that up a little bit. In that, in I think it'll become a little bit more clear as we get into some of these other things. Really, a lot of what's being talked about here is if God is going to punish people for, you know, not um, uh, keeping the well it's that's a little bit too hot button issue but let's just say something else like not um doing the daily sacrifices um so if you're not doing the daily sacrifices you know god is going to get you and that's kind of where a lot of this stuff comes down to but my point was if even if all this was true and god cared about the sanhedrin's ruling um this still doesn't have much to do with prophecy or uh, a harbinger of doom or anything. Mm, yeah. If the Sanhedrin, you know, said Pope Francis was a bad guy and that Obama was a bad guy, is that really a herald of the end times? I mean, right, right. really? I mean, it, that it, this is not a, a reason to say uh, that, that, that something's going to happen and related to biblical prophecy because the Sanhedrin says Obama is bad. I mean, there's, it's a, not a, even a, apples and oranges comparison it's like apples and uh you know textbooks it's just does <laughs> yeah i don't know i couldn't think of a better one but yeah but but yeah no look i get your point um and the thing and and i guess the thing to, to bear in mind is that um just because we put a list of 27 of them together that 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 doesn't lend weight to it either <laughs> that just because i've got 27 or 30 that doesn't mean to say something is going to happen um, and, you know, I don't want to sound like a naysayer. I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but I think we need to take a balanced view when we're looking at lists like this and events like this because 
Now, a lot of people are taking a sensible approach. I, I've been in forums and on Facebook, and I can see a lot of people saying, listen, don't panic. You know, hey, this is just a list of things that's out there. Examine them for yourself, uh, and that's good. But I also know that a lot of people would be frightened. Uh, for example, uh, one, of, one of the things on the list, and maybe we talk about that now before we go to um, the Shemitah, is this idea that the uh, the uh, the coming of the Messiah at the end of the sabbatical year? So that's due on Saturday, September twelfth. Influential ultra orthodox Jewish rabbi Chaim Kanievsky is suggesting the coming of Messiah at the end of the sabbatical year. Um, now, Rabbi Kanievsky is calling for Jews to make Aliyah to return to their spiritual homeland of Israel because of the coming of the Messiah is imminent. Now. My question is, because a rabbi says it, does that make it so? Should we as believers be taking note of this? Should we be preparing ourselves for something big? Or or what's going on? Like, um, if you know what I'm trying to get at here. Now, I'm not belittling anybody, but just because someone says something like this, it doesn't mean to make it so. A lot of us, um, a lot of Christians will like to quote rabbis because they think it gives some sort of legitimacy to some of the stuff that we believe. Obviously, we are waiting for our Messiah. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. And But, but just because, uh, you know, a rabbi seven says it doesn't make it so. Um, what do you think about that, my take on it, Chris? Well, I agree. And if you think about it logically, um, now he's obviously, he doesn't believe in that Jesus was the Messiah. So he's looking for, you know, a new Messiah. But even if, you know, the, the idea is that, well, it's going to be Jesus that's going to return on, you know, Saturday, September 12th, 2015 or whatever, mm. then he, then what you have to believe is that, you know, by virtue of him being a rabbi and, you know, knowing uh, a lot of whatever uh, secret kind of rabbi knowledge that he might have mm. um, that he has figured out how to determine when the return of Christ is going to come uh, because of some, you know, secret mathematics with, you know, the feasts or something like that. If it was that simple, then surely we would have figured it out by now. I mean, to, to hit your point, I mean, He's kind of operate. I'm not the guy. Probably is a good guy or whatever. Yeah, he knows a lot yeah. about the Bible, but yeah. um, but he is operating from a disadvantage. He he is blinded to the truth of the scriptures, and so he's not at an advantage. He is at a disadvantage, right. and especially in regard to the return of Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, you know, we could go into no man knows the day of the hour. Even influential Jewish rabbis. Um, and, and what, by what method is he coming to this conclusion? Now, in, in the history of rabbinical thought, literally every, well, not literally every, but almost every famous rabbi has had some kind of, you know, mathematical calculation about when the Messiah would come. It's sort of their version of, uh, you know, the, uh, the crazy books that Chris Christians are putting out right now. You know, yeah. they yeah. don't do the, the same stuff that we do. Well, this, for this is some, some things they do, but for mo most part, it's all connected to when is the Messiah going to come? That's what their crazy books are written about. And even their best level headed rabbis, uh, in history have all, you know, tried to piece together that, that mathematics. And, and I've looked at their, uh, reasoning behind it and how they start with their mathematical calculations and stuff like that. And, and it's a, based on several false premises, um, to begin with. A lot of like the, you know, 2300 day, you know, prophecy kind of the same thing that a lot of the, um, 
you know, a lot of the false prophets have done, you know, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the uh, Seventh-day Adventists and a lot of the other – the cults, the May 21st, 2000, uh, whatever people. The, it's the same kind of stuff. It, it's wrong premises mm. uh, to begin with. So, yeah, it, no um, – you know, as far as knowing the day or the hour of Jesus' return – this guy doesn't know it. I know that for a fact because Jesus said that he doesn't know it. Um, so we're good there. And the the mathematics and the reasoning behind it, the reason he came up with this date anyway, is faulty on its premise. So, so yeah, these, this is just one of those things. And you could probably – they put this on the September list, right? Mm, yes. But yes. You could, this is one of those things you could probably do for every month down the line. Right. You know, another Jewish rabbi s- says that this is going to be this month and this month. That's just their thing, you know. That's what they speculate on and that's what they, you know, come up with new theories about and new ways to come up with those theories. You know, you know what, Chris? Um, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, um, but uh, – there was a time when things like this would have got me a bit excited, perhaps even frightened, because um, uh, I'm not a, ashamed to admit that for a long time in my Christian walk, I was always searching for information on uh, oh, about the end times. Uh, when, when, when's the Messiah? When's Jesus going to return? Um, uh, what's the next big thing? When's the, when's the next planet going to, you know, when, when are the planets going to align and when is a... Um, uh, media going to strike the earth and all of those sort of things. And I'd get a bit excited and, you know, I'd even frighten my wife a bit about it, you know. And, and, and really that's why I wanted to talk about these things and why I'm a little bit passionate about them because for me, I think it takes away, it can take away from what the real goal is or the real aims are or what our real obligations are as believers. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't study prophecy, but I'm saying there's more to the Bible and more to your Christian walk than prophecy. Um, and so uh, I just want people to know that I'm not – I don't want to be a naysayer because I, I've been in that position where I was excited. I was looking for everything. I spent many, many years looking for uh, the, the next exciting thing. And to be honest with you, it was a waste of time. Uh, and, and it all came to naught. And, you you know, so many times I ended up with egg on my face, uh, with my friends, with my family – um, you know, sometimes with my wife had to say, Hey, yeah, look, you know, I got a little bit too much carried away with that one. Um, <laughs> right. and, yeah. and, and, and that's why, that's why I wanted to talk about this list with you, Chris. Uh, well, that's def- it's a good point, and, and I've done it a million times, and I know anybody that's been around this for a long time has, uh, you know, has done the exact same thing. Uh, something on YouTube or whatever was going to happen next week, and you told everybody about it, get right with God, and all this other stuff, and then it didn't come to pass. And I'm talking about this happens it's with with consistent regularity now that we have a new thing. What well, what's the new thing going to be next time or whatever? If it's going to be, uh, you know, like I said, a planet or Nibiru or planet you know planet x or that was you know we had a lot of those elenin type things for a while but it's always something and um i've kind of i do get uh, frustrated with it but and i really wish that there could be a change in that regard but i do think it's part of uh part of human nature um whenever somebody says a date we automatically get interested in it and it doesn't have to have a lot of good science behind it, but a date gets our attention. Um, and I, I've said a lot of times the history of Christianity 
uh, is is full of this kind of stuff. We've always we've always done this stuff, and it's always been next year. And we've always had some guy with his calculations. The difference is that we're living in a different kind of world with YouTube, and really any guy in his basement can put up a a date kind of video or you know anything that sounds kind of legitimate and. Uh, and a lot of them are really just really, really bad guys putting up things that they know to be wrong. I think at least a percentage of them are, but, um, um, I I have no doubt that some of these things are sent our way to make us look silly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's certainly the net result of it. Mm. Um, but I do think that there are a lot of true, you know, true believers in the, like this Shemitah thing or whatever that are trying to warn people about it, but it just, it ends up, um, bad. Now, you know, there is going to be a day and a time when things are serious. And so I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's a bad idea to to warn people about stuff or whatever, but I do think that it is probably based on a lot of, um, wrong ideas about prophecy prophecy's hard prophecy is requires um a lot more study than you're generally going to get even in like a prophecy course or whatever i mean it it requires a pretty thorough understanding of numerous books of the bible to have a at least a decent handle on it and until you have that kind of um base you're going to be uh, like a ship tossed um, by the waves by a lot of these false teachers because if you think you know it could be simple stuff like thinking for example that i don't know we, we can get into a lot of stuff but there's it is disheartening, but I think like you, um, I kind of got a little burnout on this way back when, and when, it, when about the 50th time that there was going to be a financial collapse or the, or the whatever meteor or whatever, the rapture on Rosh Hashanah, or, I mean, we've gone through a billion of these things and eventually you just kind of like, you know, and now I have a pretty good base, uh, you know, in terms of what I, uh, know the Bible it, uh, tells us what happened. And so I can dismiss things pretty easily, but that's not where a lot of people are. It's not their fault. I do think people can do more uh, in terms of their studying of prophecy, but I think it, it's human nature. And because of the power of, of uh, YouTube and the other similar things, uh, we're a lot, we're, we're, it, it's easier to get the whole world swept up in something these days. Yeah, I think that's right. Look, I don't doubt a lot of people's sincerity in trying to warn others because I think that's, um, uh, part of the human nature how we should be we care about others we want we want to warn others and help others especially if we're believers but i think sometimes it can detract from our um our main goal and really that that really should be um having others join us uh witnessing to others because really if if the rapture happened tomorrow and uh and and no matter what your point of view on the rapture is but if we all end up as believers end up on the other side um, the only thing we're going to arrive there with are the people that we've witnessed to and that we've, um, you know, planted a few seeds with. That's all we're going to arrive with. So I think our focus really needs to be on that and let these, some other, some of these other things be, uh, you know, the next tier or two down than, than from seeing unbelievers, uh, saved and believers edified. So I guess that's the standpoint I'm coming from and what, what I'm saying. And I just want people to know that, I've been there. I, I, I have been there. I've done it. And, uh, I confess that I, I was wrapped right up in it myself. And that's why I'm so, uh, vociferous on it, 
on it now, uh, on not letting it be the only thing that you're about. Chris, let's talk, let's move to um, September 12, 13, uh, the end of the sabbatical year or Shemitah, um, which is the last year of the seven-year cycle. Um, on this list, we've seen it's written that it's associated with financial issues, debt forgiveness, economic problems, recession, and declines in the stock market. Um, can you talk to this Shemitah idea? Right. Okay. So, well, the, the Shemitah is basically the, the seven year Sabbath cycle. Um, a lot of you know the, the Sabbath idea, which, uh, was a day of rest every week. And in addition to that, there is a year of rest every seven years that the Jewish people were, uh, commanded to, uh, follow in Leviticus. So basically at the end of six years, they were to not work the land, not till the land or plant any crops. Uh, and let the land have some rest every uh, every seven years, and that idea is a pretty good idea. It, it actually we we now know that uh, you know the land having rest is a really good thing for it to replenish its uh, uh, you know minerals or whatever. So, but in addition to that, there were some other things that happened at that seven year cycle. So, for example, um, certain debts were forgiven. Um, and indentured Jewish indentured uh, servants were set free. Um, so the idea then is uh, uh, one of several things. But so the idea is that we're we're coming up on the end of uh, the the latest seven year cycle. Uh, Jonathan Kahn in his book Shemitah um, says that you know two thousand one was you know one of them, and again it happened in two thousand eight. And his whole thing is that. Uh, well, I should go a little further and say that uh, the Jewish people never really followed the Shemitah. Um, they uh, never really did what they were supposed to do. And ultimately, uh, the Bible kind of um, shows us that as a result of them not following this for, uh, I can't remember how, exactly how long it was, they were uh, punished for it. And the way that they were punished was that God basically... Uh, enforced the land to get its rest. And he did that by uh, having the Babylonians uh, capture the Jewish people, capture Judah and take them to Babylon, thereby leaving the land untended for the number of years that the land should have gotten rest for the previous um, lack of Sabbath that it had gotten. So he, he got the land its rest one way or another. Um, so that was essentially their punishment for not keeping the seven-year cycle. Now, Jonathan Kahn's idea in the Shemitah is almost entirely financial or economic. What he says that is going to happen, or that has happened, every, uh, is that every seven years we see a, fin a financial impact, a decline of some sort. And he says it's just a, you know, this is what happens every seven years is that there is a, a decline in the Dow Jones particularly. It's the method that he uses. In his book, it's filled with a lot of graphs and, and charts of various declines. And if you just read his book, you would think, wow, this is a very true principle. Every seven years, there is a, a massive decline in the in the stock market. But um, some recent uh, people have done some some pretty good research about his numbers and graphs. Uh, Mike Heiser has a post on it where he linked to, uh, I think it's David James who has done a pretty interesting post on this. And basically what he 
showed is that Jonathan Kahn was more than a little uh, uh, tricky in the way that he made this seem to be true. For example, he says, Jonathan Kahn says that in 2008, uh, the stock market hit there was the worst of all time in terms of uh, points dropped. And one of the problems with that is that method that, you know, he doesn't say in the book, but you can actually tell what he's talking about is a a point uh, count on the Dow Jones specifically. But that kind of logic would not play in any kind of economics paper because it really is uh, irrelevant. You have to do a percentage um, of the Dow Jones in order to get an idea of of its true economic impact. So, So, for example, what he says in 2008 was the largest hit the stock market has ever taken. If you do the right calculations in terms of true economic hit, that 2008 issue isn't even on the top 10. I mean, we're talking about, it, it may even not be in the top 20. The, it's not, it's not true. And a lot of the graphs that he shows are, um, you know, really kind of zoomed in, if you will, to the stock market thing, not showing the, the true, the true growth and lack of economic hit. So the basic premise, the entire really premise of the idea of this every seven years, we get an economic hit is, um, is based on kind of tricky, tricky uh, economics here. So, so in other words, I would say that he is wrong. That, that you know, if you want to talk about single point drops or whatever, but in terms of true economic impact, because it, it's it's completely wrong. Um, so, I think that Jonathan's Jonathan Kahn's entire premise is wrong, first of all. But there's several things to to get into and in, with regard to this theory. Um, the first, I. Th- think that's important is that this is an issue, as I mentioned, with regard to giving the the land its rest every seven years. It's really about the land. Um, And I would say that based on the punishment that God gave them was to give the land its rest. I mean, granted, there were a lot of other things going on in the Babylonian captivity, but the net result was, and you can actually see that the the number of years they were in captivity was the exact number of years that they failed to give the land its rest. So, so it's a, it's a land rest issue. Um, and not an economic thing. So, for example, I mean, I guess you could say the Babylonians being taken to captivity was an ep- economic blow to the, to the, to the tribe of Judah. Now, uh, obviously, to an extent, but that really wasn't it. You know, it wasn't, I'm going to hurt your economy kind of thing. Uh, so in, in a sense, if you want to be thorough about this, then every, the reason we, in Jonathan Kahn's view, are being judged every seven years is because we're not giving the land its rest. Not because we need to repent as a nation. I mean, granted we do and all the, all that's true. I mean, we're, we're not in a good place as a nation or anything else, but it, it would have to be because we're not giving the land its rest. Um, which implies getting into some of this other stuff that, which implies that we are, um, bound to observe the laws in Leviticus. Uh, and that doesn't, you can't pick and choose. If you're, if you got to follow Leviticus, um, that, you know, this law, then there's plenty of others that we're not doing as well, which gets into a big theological problem. Well, well, it Um, also assumes if you're talking about just the USA, that, um, USA is, uh, covenantal nation with the Lord God somehow. Right. And that's another big, big problem. And I think that's something that a lot of people have pointed out with regard to this is that Mm. this is, this is assuming that America is 
the new Israel mm. and that God is, you know, uh, punishing America for not following Jewish laws. Now, I don't think that Jonathan Kahn, even though he is a messianic quote unquote rabbi, that, um, that he is, uh, uh, he's saying that, you know, a replacement theology kind of thing, but he is doing something similar. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of, you know, speaking out of both sides of his mouth, really. But what he would say is that, um, because America was founded on Christian principles, yeah. uh, that, uh, that we're kind of, that God sort of accepted that. And now we're kind of bound by some of the same standards. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to say that a, a country or whatever can be judged, uh, because of their, um, various problems and things. I think that's certainly, uh, biblical. But this kind of thing that he's woven here, that because America isn't keeping the land Sabbath, it's going to be hit economically has so, so many problems. First of all, that's not the way that this was punished in the Bible. Second of all, why publish, you know, punish America for something that Israel is not doing? It's Israel's, you know, land situation. But more to, more to the point about this America thing, uh, I think that you can put out a book, GK, right now called America and Prophecy. We're doomed and you will sell several million copies because we American exceptionalism Mm. uh, is a big issue. And we, we of course take that to Bible prophecy stuff. You know, we want, we demand that America is in Bible prophecy (laughs) because there's no way that God would overlook our awesome country. Uh, So, so we, we, the people that put that kind of stuff out and no offense to anybody. Well, I guess maybe a little bit of offense, but the issue is, you, they got to do funny business to get America in prophecy and, and, and use hermeneutics that are not normal in order to squeeze America into prophecy. And I think Jonathan Kahn's popularity and is, is in large part because, Hey, America's in prophecy. This guy, you know, is a prophet and he tells us so. And, you know, really you can even go to like Glenn Beck, who is a big promoter of this kind of stuff. Um, and probably one of the reasons that these books have done so well, um, is, is, you know, he's interested in America becoming in prophecy because he's a Mormon and that's like the Mormons thing, you know, America is the thing, you know? So Glenn Beck has his reasons for, for promoting the America and prophecy stuff. And, and of course we as Americans eat it up. Um, but yeah, the, the whole premise about, judging America economically, not the way this was judged, and the premise that we are bound to follow the laws of Leviticus, the land rest, and if we don't, we're going to, you know, that in itself has theological problems. Um, well, what about, but, what about forgiving uh, debts? How about everybody in the USA when it comes to um, uh, the sabbatical year uh, that everyone forgive each other's debts? <laughs> I, I wanted to I wanted to share this part with you, um, Chris. I might as well read Deuteronomy 15, because that's where it comes from. Um, At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a re- remission of debts. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, but you... But your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. I wonder how that would go down with everybody that has that's owed money in the United States. Right. Well, you know, and 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 that's interesting. You say that 
the no for the Bible says that no foreign you know I do this with foreigners mm, mm. Uh, but uh, just with us and and of course the kind of weird theology would probably turn that into this is a Christian thing now so Christians need to forgive Christian debt right. every seven years this is a this is a theology that is being built that really isn't being put a lot of thought into you know are the it's kind of like a lot of the things um, you know not eating pork or, or whatever that are good ideas. Um, and really are beneficial to your health and other things, but is made crystal clear that the the Levitical uh, law, the Mosaic law, is is not we're not bound to that for judgment or you know in terms of obviously the Christian life has a lot of things that do include judgment and that's all included in the New Testament and things that we're not supposed to do in the rest of it, but in terms of the prescribed blessings and judgments. Uh, for, uh, you know, like I said, for not, the, the daily sacrifice or whatever, we're not going to get judged for not keeping the daily sacrifice. And that's, that's what's being implied here. So it is a theological concern. But I mean, you know, forgiving debts is great, but I, you, you know, and it would be a good practice to do. I don't, you know, you, for example, usury or whatever is, um, not a good idea. We probably shouldn't do it, but is God going to judge you for, um, being a banker? Hmm. Uh, the idea is no. I mean, I, I, you know, I guess we could be willing to have a debate about that, but the, you know, whether there's judgments as a result of it, but the, but the bottom line is that this premise is theologically problematic. Well, there's ways around it. And um, let me share it with you in case you feel uh, compelled to um, forgive people of their debts. Nowadays, there are ways um, according to rabbinical injunctions um, for the biblical edict of Deuteronomy 15 to be avoided. What it is, it's a little bit more than what I'm going to explain here, but just for the sake of simplicity, it involves transferring the debt from a private to the public sphere, and that way the debt becomes payable. And like I say, there's more to it than that, but that's the basis of it. So um, the way to do it is because the interpretation is that it's uh, talking about private debt here. So say, Chris, you owe me money, and we're coming up to the sabbatical year, and I want to make sure I get my uh, pound of flesh out of you, all I have to do is transfer it from being a private to public sphere, and then that way, even during this year, I still get to collect the day ray me from you. Right. Well, yeah, and, and even if, you know, a lot of those kind of uh, uh, loopholes that they have done to, to do what they want, you know, even if you said, oh, God does not accept that and you're still going to be judged for it, you still got to come back to the idea that let's just assume a more logical standpoint that this doesn't have anything to do with America, but maybe right. these things still do apply to Israel. That's a good theological question, and I guess one way you could uh, answer this is to say, if a Jewish person today um, was followed the law as best as he could, uh, of course he can't follow it perfectly even if he tried, and he would, you know, went to the temple and sacrificed, you know, for his sins. Let's assume a temple was there, uh, and you know, did all the the right things according to Jewish law, um, but didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, kind of had contempt for Jesus because he doesn't believe he's the Messiah. Which, you know, unless they're a Messianic Jew and a Christian, mm-hmm. uh, they don't. Is that guy okay with God? Is God still? Does God still accept the Mosaic law as a path to salvation? And the answer to that is no. Uh, Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Uh, and the Mosaic law for the Jews is not a path to salvation now. It, 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 in other words, um, 
a lot of these these things are are moot in terms of you know uh, of course oh you know that that becomes a bit of an issue for the messianic believers who have sort of again a kind of speaking out of their both sides of their mouth about this saying you know of course Jesus is but you know we still need to follow the mosaic law so it goes it gets a little difficult there right okay um so chris just going down the list then we we come to september 1718 the u.s congress has 60 days to examine and then to vote either approve or disapprove of the iranian nuclear deal right so this is a geopolitical concern Mm -hmm. um that you know even the september 17th 18th date is a beginning of a 60 day window. So, I mean, right. you know, they're, they're probably not going to do it on that day, but it's going to be, you know, October most likely. Um, I don't know when they'll do it, but the, the point is, uh, this is a geopolitical thing that has little to nothing to do with Bible prophecy, nor is it, it's just one of those things. Again, they said, you know, what's going to happen that has anything to do with Israel, even tangentially, uh, that we can, you know, put into this September thing. Um, the Iran nuclear deal is important geopolitically. It could have uh, long-term uh, ramifications in terms of building up an arms race in the in the Middle East and a lot of things that could happen as a result of that. But again, that's not – this is not a trigger or a, a harbinger or um, any kind of thing like that. There's lots of geopolitical things that are going on in the world, uh, not just September. As this will probably be an October thing when it actually happens. But, you know, this is – as far as I'm concerned, I look at this and they, this is just something else they stuck in there to make it their list bigger. <laughs> Hi, this is GK here with a quick reminder for you that you can find all the previous episodes of Light Flint Radio in our archives at www.lightflintradio.com. Also, if you'd like a change of pace, you can check out my podcast series on the history of the King James Bible. If you'd like to know the story behind the world's bestseller, just go to www.ahistoryofthekingjamesbiblepodcast.com. Okay, so now back to the show. Okay, um, uh, this sort of list is out of order and date, but uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, Sundown on September 13 and uh, ends on sundown on September 15. Now, wouldn't this happen every year anyway? Right. This this happens every September. So let's just put it on the list there. But of course, Rosh Hashanah has a bit of a uh, a, a mystery about it in the Christian conspiracy world because there's been so much talk about the rapture being on Rosh Hashanah um, and I don't know if these uh, people who put this list together think that the rapture is going to happen uh, in September or not. I think that they do. Uh, I know some good people that that really truly believe that the rapture is up and coming. I did a video called uh, "The Rapture Will Not Be on Rosh Hashanah" on YouTube, and the the premise of the Rosh Hashanah idea is that the the last trumpet uh, is. Uh, really the ram's horn trumpets of, of the feast of trumpets. So there's a connection in their mind to the, uh, ram's horns that are blown in Rosh Hashanah and, uh, and the, the, the rapture. But uh, again, I say in that video that that premise is wrong. Um, the rapture does not have anything to do with Rosh Hashanah. It's kind of deb- debatable what, uh, 
you know, if Rosh Hashanah has anything to do with trumpets, I, um, I know a lot of Bibles do insert the word trumpet there, um, but it's really just an exclamation of some sort of shouting is, I think, the, the translation of the idea. There is no biblical, uh, unlike some of the feasts, there's no biblical kind of uh, explanation of what to do on Rosh Hashanah. What What is done on Rosh Hashanah today is kind of what they have come up with to do on Rosh Hashanah. So the blowing of the ram's horns and on all that stuff is something that they kind of have decided to do. It's not something the Bible told them to do, but that's kind of irrelevant. The point is that um, – that the the last trumpet idea that Paul talks about um, is not a reference to Rosh Hashanah. It is a reference to Numbers ten and the the two silver trumpets that um, that were supposed to be blown for two reasons. There, it's in the Bible. It's it's referred to as the trumpet and alarm. There are two trumpet blasts that are one is to be uh, blown when to gather together the people uh, for an assembly. Um, and then the other trumpet, if there was going to be a, a war-type situation, they would gather together the assembly with the first trumpet and then sound the alarm with the second silver trumpet, which would be to gather them together to war. The idea explained there is that God would then go to war with Israel's enemies, uh, that God would be the, the one who goes to war with Israel's enemies. Now, that concept of the trumpet and alarm uh, Jeremiah, Joel, on through the prophets, it started to develop into the herald of the day of the Lord. So you'll see uh, uh, um, Jeremiah and, and Joel talking about the trumpet and alarm, uh, obviously in a day of the Lord context. And the idea was that this was the beginning of the day of the Lord, uh, the trumpet and alarm. It's a direct reference to the numbers 10 trumpets, the silver trumpets. And so when uh, Paul uh, who is talking about the day of the Lord in context and the gathering together of the elect. Again, that idea, the gathering together is, is there for the purpose of, of drawing your attention to the, the gathering together horn the, of, of Numbers 10. Um, he, he says the last trumpet, that last trumpet is, the word there is, is the word we get eschatology from, eschatos, the end times trumpet. The fi- the, it doesn't have to be the last in a series as we think of the word last. It's the eschatological trumpet. So when he says the, the eschatological trumpet will be blown at the beginning of the day of the Lord, that's when the rapture happens before the day of the Lord begins. Um, the idea is, again, referencing to his favorite people on the subject of the day of the Lord, Joel, the trumpet and alarm guy and Jeremiah and so on and so forth, this concept of, uh, of the trumpet and alarm. So in, in other words, Rosh Hashanah, um, is a Jewish feast day that we don't really know how it's supposed to be, uh, uh, um, you know, kept. And it, it doesn't have to do with the last trumpet. So therefore, this on this list about well Rosh Hashanah is going to happen again every September in, in September, people automatically assume well that's when the rapture is supposed to happen. But if that's wrong, if the rapture is not going to happen, on, and there's other reasons too. For example, it wouldn't fat, follow the pattern fulfillment of the fall feasts. In other words, if the it, I, I explain this in the in the video, but the pattern would be wrong if the rapture happened on Rosh Hashanah. The fall feasts would be fulfilled in a completely different way 
that than the other the previous feasts, uh, the ones that we know have been fulfilled, and we know how they were fulfilled and on what days they were fulfilled and what events happened to fulfill them. If Rosh Hashanah was the rapture, then it would just mess all that whole fulfillment up. It would be fulfilled in a completely different way than the previous ones were. So, so no, the the rapture is not going to be on Rosh Hashanah, and therefore putting Rosh Hashanah. Uh, on this list is irrelevant. I mean, yes, a Jewish feast day will happen in September, but it doesn't have to do with the rapture, and therefore don't worry about the rapture happening in September. I mean, you know, if you want to say that the rapture is going to happen in September for something else, okay, but not because Rosh Hashanah is in September. You're listening to Like Flint Radio. For more episodes of Like Flint Radio, just go to www.likeflintradio.com. If you want to contact us, you can write to me at gk at likeflintradio.com. That's all lowercase, just gk at likeflintradio.com. The music in this episode is from the new CD, Uncharted, by Acrolith. And you can find them at acrolith.net or just go to acrolith.bandcamp.com. Now let's return to Chris White and our discussion concerning the September Convergence. Uh, Next on the list is... Uh, September 13, a partial solar eclipse is to take place, uh, visible only in the extreme southern hemisphere. So I'll be stapling my thighs to my seat to look for that one. <laughs> the eclipse issue is actually um, connected with the blood moons thing. Right. Um, it's part of the blood moons theory. You have the, in addition to the four blood moons between 2014 and 2015, you have in there uh, the solar eclipse. And so that's kind of connected to that. The idea is that uh, it says the sun and the moon will be darkened there in Joel and a few other places. So you have to have the sun being darkened as well as the moon in order to fulfill that uh, verse, which is what they're trying to do. So that's why this is on that list. Um, And as I I also uh, have a video out there, which I highly recommend uh, your listeners checking out called the blood moon theory debunked. And it goes on to show that, this idea that that Joel is talking about eclipses is not correct. Um, I show the various instances in the Bible where this uh, this heavenly sign is mentioned, and uh, it's first of all, it, it it's not just the sun and the moon that are supposed to be darkened. It's quite clear in the other references, including in Joel. Joel twenty one verses later also mentions that the stars will go dim. In addition to this. Um, this sun and moon star sign. They they intentionally picked the one where Joel is kind of referencing again this same sign that he mentioned earlier where he only mentions the sun and the moon. They intentionally picked that one uh, to to talk about and not the one in Revelation, not the one in, you know, uh, the, the Olivet Discourse or whatever and not the times in Ezekiel or whatever. They picked this one to, to mention because it only mentions the sun and the moon. But in every other one, not only the, the sun and the moon, but the stars go dim and then there's an earthquake. So what the Bible talks about with this sign, which heralds the beginning of the day of the Lord, is a, a, a universal darkness. There is some kind of earthquake. I don't know if the earthquake causes this or what what the deal is, but there there then begins a situation where the sky is darkened. You can't see it goes into some detail about this. You can't see any lights in the sky. Uh, and it must be diffused a little bit because you can see the moon, although it's discolored, uh, in that it's red. 
uh, which is what happens when there is some kind. I mean, that's why the moon is red on, in you know certain situations when it gets close to the atmosphere because there's a lot of atmosphere in between you and the and the moon, um, or the sun too. You know what I mean? The so the idea is is uh, wrong because a solar or lunar eclipse is not going to do anything to the stars and it's not going to cause an earthquake. I mean, it if uh, and in, in addition to that, reading these passages. Uh, in Joel or, or Revelation or whatever, it's it's clear that this is a simultaneous event. This happens at the same time. It's not, hey, there's going to be a solar eclipse on you know this day, and then you know a lunar eclipse over you know two months later or whatever. This is a this is an inst- you know a, a thing that happens simultaneously. The stars go dark, the moon goes dark, the sun goes dark, and you you know it, that's it's logically impossible. First of all, for a, an eclipse to be the reason. This is happening, or uh, because you can't have a lunar eclipse and a solar eclipse at the same time. It's physically impossible. It's just not how they work. Um, so you can't have a lunar eclipse and a solar eclipse at the same time. And if the premise is true that this is talking about a simultaneous thing, which really, really seems like that when you read it—that the sun, moon, and stars go dark and and there's an earthquake around the exact same time—then this can't be about eclipses. So, so. And I go through that again, and there's lots of reasons about the blood moon theory that are wrong. Uh, again, you can check out that video, the blood moon theory debunked. Uh, uh, yes, I looked at it uh, just yesterday myself. Um, next one, Chris, the uh, Jade Helm, the United States military exercise uh, that's uh, taking place is set to finish on September 15. And some people are saying it's a potential dry run for the imposition of martial law and that uh, some people are heading to South America to escape the United States for because, you know, the loss of sovereignty is <clears throat> is about to take place. Now, I remember one one thing that happened uh, in the 80s. I went to, go, uh, went to church with a guy who moved from Queensland, which is a northern state in Australia. He moved to Tasmania because in Christian circles, he'd been told that the Indonesians were going to invade northern Australia. So he packed his family up and moved to Tasmania in the 80s. And uh, and there's been reports of some people are leaving the United States for South America. Um, you have an opinion on this Jade Helm thing? Um, well, I'll be glad when... It's all over because this is just uh, something that has been – I mean, we've been doing the Jade Helm doomsday for a while now. Um, the September thing is – I guess they, they're going to say because it's con- concluding in September. So that's going to be when they pull the trigger on it or whatever. Um, you know, I don't I, I don't like the, the troops, you know, training on U.S. soil. I think it's a bad geopolitical thing. I definitely think that America's – you know, losing its sovereignty, and this is a symptomatic of that, or whatever. But like I said, I'll be glad when this is done. I mean, it would. This is it would be a really, really dumb thing to do to try to impose martial law just because they got troops on the ground. Uh, I'm, it, you know, it's it would not succeed. I mean, to to try to do this unless I mean it, they'd have to have some other kind of event happen or whatever. You know, to actually give reason for people to want to give their um, sovereignty up and to start mar- martial law. But um, so, you know, the, as far as I'm concerned, the Jade Helm thing has been way, way overblown. It's a bad thing. It's something that they probably, you know, definitely shouldn't be doing in terms of, it, 
you know, training these troops on American soil and the rest of the stuff that people are libertarians are uh, upset about, I agree with. But to take it to that next level and say, this is it, this is the thing that's going to, you know, do us in is just just uh, something I personally have never given much credence to. I've not done the, I haven't done the full like YouTube, look at all the people who say about it and, you know, have their things that they're saying about it. But I can say with uh, uh, some security and peace of mind that, uh, you know, this not Jade Helm is not going to be the reason that we're going to start the end times or whatever. No, that's right. But I think we must say um, we're not totally poo-pooing it because, um, uh, just about any government would love the opportunity to rule by decree. So I wouldn't poo-poo it and say, look, this will never happen. But uh, signs are not pointing that something's going to come out of this one this month. And the reason it's on this list is because, hey, it's ending in September. Therefore, it's got to go on the September list. Yeah. And I mean, in, to, to back that up, too, I mean, I think that the the loss of sovereignty and stuff is is um, – you know, that happens and has happened in the history of the world a lot, lots and lots of times. It just, it's just something that happens in the political world, but it doesn't, it doesn't for, if, if America went, you know, down tomorrow and, you know, was, was, we went into a dictatorship in the worst style ever, you know, a Hitler type thing, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't mean anything for the end times. And again, that's sort of the, the American exceptionalism thing, you know, if America has one of the, Hundreds of things that can happen to a country, which almost certainly will happen to this country in some future date, if we're, you know, if we keep going, uh, we're only 200 years old, relatively young country, and look at the history of, you know, Europe or wherever else. I mean, it's just, this is how it has, this is the cycle that happens, you know, people get power, they corrupt that power, and they try to take as much control of whatever they can as they can. But just because that cycle is part of the world we live in uh, does not mean that the end times are upon us. No, that's right. And I would say that uh, um, uh, people that lived through World War Two would probably have believed that, that that it was the time of the end and that uh, Hitler was the Antichrist. And I wouldn't have blamed them for it, uh, for believing that. So, um, But just because something happens that's a nationwide and negative, it doesn't mean to say that it's the... Uh, the end of the world or the end of the age. Um, uh, September 15 as well, the 70th UN General Assembly will begin meeting where France is expected to present a resolution to the UN Security Council to divide Israel and force a peace treaty on Israel and the Palestinian Authority. I've got to admit I haven't looked into this one at all. Well, um, I've looked into it a little bit. The First of all, I think it's important to remember that the UN Gen- General Assembly, if you look at the last, whatever, 30, 40 years, every single year when the General Assembly meets, there's at least five, you know, proposed things about Israel every yeah. single year. And, and if you read through the list, it's like the UN condemns, the US, the UN demands Israel, the UN condemns Israel for something. I mean, the word condemns and demands Israel in that list are, you know, five a year, the UN is demanding something or condemning something about Israel. Um, so really nothing new in terms of the UN General Assembly meeting every year and them condemning Israel or some kind of anti-Israel thing. This one is a little bit different. I mean, they're, 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 you know, the idea is that Obama, <clears throat> that America has not 
given the thumbs up to the Palestinian statehood idea for a long time. And uh, because Obama is more anti-Israel than previous presidents, they expect him to give the thumbs up this time, therefore declaring that uh, the Palestinian statehood in terms of uh, it being official. Um, there, in this particular thing, the idea that France is proposing is kind of kind of the same thing that they proposed a while back is the idea that uh, that the two-state solution with uh, uh, Jerusalem being divided and being the capital city of both. Um, now, you have to remember that just because France proposes this or the UN passes it or whatever, you, it, it, you can't make a Mideast peace just because the UN declares something or condemns something or whatever. You still got to get Israel to say, yeah, you can have half Jerusalem. Yes. And you still got the Palestinians to say, oh, yeah, we'd do that even though uh, we don't you know, want the Jews anywhere that we own the whole thing and we won't accept anything that's half measures. You know, both of them are still in the same deadlock and it doesn't matter if Obama or the France uh, says that they should do this and the UN passes it. The only thing that could make a difference is if both parties agreed to say, okay, yes, we want this, and yes, we'll allow um, UN peacekeeping troops to enforce it. Um, that would be that would be more significant if they agreed to do that. I don't think that they're going to do that. Uh, there's no reason to assume that they will, or that you know, the, first of all, the Palestinians will agree to it, or Israel will agree to it. But assuming they did, that's what would happen. And if that happened, again, the again a long shot. But if that happened, uh, where the U.S. finally says, "Okay," in uh, give the thumbs up to the idea that that the that of a Palestinian state. That would be the idea is that that would be uh, abhorrent to God, and He would therefore begin judgment on America or whatever because they gave the thumbs up to this idea. But again, that's uh, that's proposing a whole lot of assumptions about God and what would make Him act. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, GK, but I mean, then, I mean, the Philistines who, who basically occupied the same areas as the Palestinians, I mean, they had a state, right? I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, they had the state for a long time and God didn't judge them for allowing them to have a state or whatever. I mean, I don't know what the, what the implications of, that people are trying to say, well, this is going to be so abhorrent to God. I mean, I think it's more this sort of conservative Republican um, pro-Israel stance, which of course, you know, to, to whatever extent, to a rational extent, we're pro-Israel, it, it becomes a whole question of what will God do in this situation. So, and, and that's, again, assuming this has anything to do with anything. Like I said, the UN can, the UN can say whatever they want to say. They certainly have. The UN has been anti-Israel since its inception, basically. And they do this every year with proposing all kinds of stuff. They, everybody wants to be the guy who makes a, a the Mideast peace deal. So, yes. yeah. um, you know. Um, September 22, 23, Yom Kippur. Now, that, that happens every September. Again, we've said this before. Um, but this one will mark the beginning of the next year of Jubilee, the 50th year. Um, yeah, a year of Jubilee happens after seven cycles of seven or 49 years. So, um, any comment on that? Um, the, you know, the combination of it being Yom Kippur and the beginning of a year of Jubilee? Well, if I'm, you know, if I'm not wrong, I mean, that Yom Kippur would necessarily fall on the, I mean, whenever a Jubilee year would end. Um, 
but the but maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm not quite up on that. But the point uh, is here that because it's a significant in the Jubilee cycle, which it's not the end of the cycle. I mean, it would be the beginning of a new cycle. Um, and and I think that's that's more significant than the idea that it's the 70th Jubilee cycle. Um, the idea here is, again, seven cycles. So seven years of seven is, is 49 years, and that's a Jubilee. So every 49 years after seven cycles of seven, um, that's a Jubilee. And this is the 70th, 70th 49 year period. Okay. So going back to, you know, whenever they're counting this from, I think they're counting it from Joshua or something like that. They're, they're saying this is the 70th time. So now we've got a kind of numbers game going on here with, uh, this is the 70th seven cycle of seven. So some sevens going on here, but the, and I read a few things about this and what people are trying to say about this prophetically because it's not on its face. Very interesting. I mean, um, if it was, even if it was like the hundredth Jubilee cycle, I think it might have a little bit more teeth, but because it's 70, they say that's an issue. But if you think about that, they're kind of going, they're kind of going back to Daniel and some of them have said it explicitly when he says, you know, 77s are determined, uh, or, you know, for your people and for the, uh, in Daniel nine twenty seven. give me pull that up just to make sure here. Um, but it would have to be in order for that to have anything to do with it. He would have to say 70 seventies are, you know, proclaimed for your people in your holy city to finish transgressions or whatever. He doesn't say 70 seventies. He says 70, um, sevens, which is obviously, um, you know, a different people, you know, have to better and lesser degrees, uh, determine what that is. But what's interesting about it is that this is the point, of termination and the point of beginning are explicitly said there in uh, that passage in Daniel, uh, which is from the cleansing of the temple uh, to from the destruction to the cleansing or whatever. So this has nothing to do with any of those starting and termination points. Um, So even that trying to force Daniel nine into there and saying, well, he did say 77s, maybe he meant 70 70s. And maybe that has to do with this, but if it does have to do with it, then it's not really 7070s because they're counting from the wrong beginning point because it should have been counting from the destruction, you know, of the temple and all that stuff. So, and they're counting from Joshua or whatever. So it really just because it's the 70th Jubilee cycle is what they're, what they're talking what about they're here. Talking about there, yeah. But even, but again, this is like one of those things where you would have to also have a theology that includes the end of certain Jubilees. Uh, is when Christ returns or whatever. And you, to some extent, there are some interesting things about that because, you know, Christ, for what we can tell, was was probably crucified on that time, you know, on the, the Jubilee year, not the beginning of the new year as it is this time, but, uh, you know, on the Jubilee, the last Jubilee. Um, so it's possible that that God could have some significance for that, but there's no good reason or nothing that we can tell that has anything to say about that in terms of when Christ will return or whatever. But it doesn't seem likely that it would be the year, the new Jubilee year, the first year of that new year or whatever. In addition to that, these dates that these people are throwing out there are really, really messed up because the, the Gregorian calendar and the Hebrew calendar have never really been lined up. And we don't, nobody knows 
how to match those up. I mean, in, in trying to do research on Daniel 927, I was so surprised at their ways and reasons that, for example, the Jewish people are matching up the Gregorian calendar with, uh, with the Hebraic calendar. It just doesn't, it's assumptions that we know are wrong for the most part, but they're continuing to do it, uh, just because they kind of want to have some idea of where it is. As far as I can tell, there really isn't any way to match them up except for going, and you can only do, do this to a limited extent, is by going counting forward from the day of creation. Uh, you can get something of an idea about it, but you know, in terms of what the Bible, uh, matching up the Bible dates like that with the modern calendar is way so far off that to make any really big deals about where we are right now on the Hebraic calendar is based on some premises that you probably wouldn't agree with if you got into the historical reasonings and math about it. Um, so it's kind of a moot point in trying to match those things up. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Uh, September 22, the Hajj. Okay, so the Hajj is to begin at Mecca. And also on the 23rd, the uh, Eid begins for the Muslims, which is the breaking of the fast. Did you find anything significant about those events, or is it just because they're happening in September? Yeah, it happens every year. It happens right. at the same time every year. So, again, mm-hmm. that just just something that has tangential relationship to Israel is put on this list right. that happens in September. I think putting this on this list is a good example of uh, we will put just about anything on this list because well, – well, that well, happens all the time. Well, well, Muslims are more likely to be happy with the uh, uh, celebration of Eid because you know that's when they, they they get to have a big party and and you know eat some good food and they're more likely to be happy than to be um, causing any drama. But um, that's just my opinion. Um, yeah, and really, the, that Hajj, <laughs> they wouldn't really admit this. Well, they do to a certain extent, but um, you know, this is based on the Old Testament. I mean, the the pilgrimage and that uh, the Jewish people were supposed to supposed to do. They've kind of done a, their own thing with it, but yes. that's ultimately supposed to be the reason they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, now, September 23, 24, and 25 is all Il Papa, Pope Francis. On the 23rd, he's going to visit the White House for discussions with President Obama. 24th, he's scheduled to address a joint session of Congress about world peace. Uh, and who doesn't want world peace? So we can't speak against that. September 25, Pope Francis is scheduled to address the UN in New York City. He has stated he wants to reduce the world's population, regulate global climate change, establish a global constitution, establish a global court, and establish a one world government. What do you think of those three? Well, a lot of the, the stuff that they added to this, the kind of, you know, well, this yes. is about world government yes. and stuff like that is yes. sort of reading a lot into, you know, these speeches where he's talking about whatever he's talking about. The same stuff that he's been talking about every time he makes a speech. This is neither relevant to Bible prophecy nor anything else. It's just, again, they whoever wrote this list said, well, let's see what Pope Francis's schedule is in September and then just post every single thing that he does in September to make our list, you know, more exciting. Because it's certainly, you know, God isn't going to say uh, Pope Francis is visiting the White House to discuss wealth redistribution and religious freedom. Uh, this is going to, I think I better, you know, let, better go ahead and start up the, the end times <laughs> wheels here because uh, this is yeah. a really big deal. Yes. You know, it's not, yes. a, it's like what, you know, it's so mundane what he's mm. doing. He's mm. giving speeches about really relatively general issues. It's like, it's kind of like the Sanhedrin issue. Like I, it doesn't really matter. The Sanhedrin today, I mean, are, 
whatever, you know, running around in circles and going to, you know, a pizza party or whatever, you know, it just it doesn't matter what they do or what they say for the most part in terms of God's economy. I mean, I, of course, I'm sure there's a limit to that. If the Pope stood up and, you know, uh, blasphemed God and challenged him to, to, uh, to judge him, I'm sure God would take note. Sure, sure. Uh, September 25 to September 27, uh, the UN plans to hold a sustainable development summit to expand the role of global governance. Uh, they plan to discuss global economic issues, climate change, global education and gender equality. It is really a plan to control the life of everyone on earth. Now, I don't doubt that that's what they'd like to do. Uh, ultimately, to be honest with you, I, I believe that that's probably what they would like to do at the end of the day. And uh, depending on where you stand on climate change, yes, they've probably got an agenda there as well. Global education, they'd love to get a hold of every child's mind and, and, and force feed them with what their view is, which would be, you know, the world view. Um, but for me, from my point of view, this is what you would expect from the UN, whether it's in September or October or this time next year. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, what the, it's their That's talking what points do. for every time mm. they get together, you know. Right, right. Uh, so it, even if... Even if this was an actually, I mean, them getting together and talking about something that's probably not going to go anywhere, or if it does go anywhere, it'll be way, way down the road, um, you know, is so insignificant. But even if it was significant, even if today was the day that we all agreed that we should be a part of a world government, it's something like that, you know, September 28th is the day that we shift to world government. It's, even if it was that extreme, it still doesn't it still doesn't have anything to do with the Bible and prophecy and whatever, you know, I mean, on down the road, those conditions would make Bible prophecy uh, more uh, easily come to pass, but it doesn't mean this is the day of the start. You know, God says, whenever the world, um, you know, forms a world government, that's when the end begins. It, it still isn't the beginning of the end. You know, if that, I mean, obviously the conditions are there, but, uh, you know, it's not a biblical concept. So this is n completely irrelevant that the UN is talking about something. But even if it was incredibly significant, it still wouldn't be the beginning of of uh, uh, any biblical mandate for the, the beginning of the end times. If you want to know that, then check out Matthew 24, you know, where it, it's pretty clear and it doesn't have anything to do with that. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Wars and rumors of wars. Uh, the The uh, next one there, the, the September 28th, the Feast of Tabernacles is, I, I don't really have much to say about that except for it is, uh, the, it's connected to the Blood Moon thing, which is the next one, the fourth Blood Moon and the current Tetrad occurs. Both on and, September 28th. So can, can we talk about that a bit? Um, the fourth Blood Moon? Yeah. So, um, this is the, this is finally the end of the Blood Moon thing when September 28th run, rolls around. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned before at the beginning, Mark Biltz is kind of getting probably a little antsy, hoping for something to happen with all this stuff. And, you know, I, he's he's kind of gotten a little bit crazy with the kind of stuff that he's saying, um, you know, as it comes down to the wire. You know, he's been saying this for five, six years or whatever it's been. And probably when it was then, when he first started off, he was saying that the rapture would happen, uh, I think, in the first blood moon. Or, but now – He's gone away from the rapture is going to happen with any of the moons, and he kind of has slowly become very generalized. Now, as these moons have happened 
for the last uh, year, there have been nothing incredibly significant. Obviously, anything these days with Israel is is somewhat significant. And you do have stuff. Uh, the most important thing I can think of is that has any kind of real relationship to it is the ISIS thing has been a big deal. Yes. Um, and I don't even think that Bill, I mean, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he can take, he will take anything that he wants that's happening. I'm sure he connects ISIS to the blood moons in some way or another. Um, but it is, it is basically really general. I mean, nothing has significantly happened to Israel in the grand scheme of things. So he has gotten a little bit uh, wishy-washy with this. He's now kind of, He's doing the same thing, really, that they did with 2012 when it started becoming apparent that we weren't going to have, uh, you know, all the things that people said in, in December 21st, 2012. Yes. He's, go- he's going with the, this is the beginning of a new beginning, you know, we're now moving into the beginning of a new era kind of thing with the blood moons, which is the easy route to take because nobody can challenge that or whatever. In 2012, people still believe, oh, that... Yeah, well, that was just the end of one era, and now we're beginning the new enlightened era. I mean, obviously, that happened on December 21st, because you can't you can't say anything about that. You'd be like, okay, I guess you can have that. So he's going that direction, but he's also – I've seen uh, – Alan Kirshner has posted something that he said uh, recently, and I saw one in another place where he had done a really similar thing to this, where he has gotten really into – this demonstrates how grasping at straws he is. He says – um, Blit, uh, Biltz, meanwhile, sees more evidence something big is in the works by the Dow plunges on successive days last week. On Tuesday, he points out that the market dropped 358 points. The next day, it dropped 530 points. And those numbers add up. If you add those numbers up, you get 888 points, which Biltz says is the bibl- in biblical parlance is suggestive of new beginnings. He also says that the numerical equivalent of Jesus's name in the Greek alphabet is 888. So, first of all, he takes two Dow Jones point drops, adds them together, uh, gets 888, and then comes up with a new beginnings idea for, uh, you know, what these numbers mean. But I've seen it in another place. He's done the same thing with taking a completely different set of numbers and a completely different set of things, uh, trying to make anything that's happening seem like it's happening with, you know, as a result of the blood moons. And he's got, you know, ideas about what every number means. This number is, you know, and to a certain extent, that's okay. I mean, I think I even have a little bit of trouble with saying definitely that like the number seven is the number of completion. And, you know, I I know that's probably as as solid as it gets uh, in the Bible. And there's some other things, you know, six is the number of man and well, those kind of things are out there. And maybe those are okay. But when you start getting into, well, uh, you know, nine, I think he says nine is the number of, uh, I don't know. He's got one for every kind of number. And it's these kind of wishy-washy ideas that you cannot prove or disprove um, since it's completely allegorical. Um, just want to tell you, Chris, um, a car I had a, a while ago, it was a government in- uh, government issued uh, number plate on that. It was 777, and I thought that was quite special. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit, no, a bit know, snarky but, here, but I really did. I really did have a red Joe that was seven seven seven, and uh, I thought that was cool, you know. <laughs> but I didn't and, choose well, it; it just happened, you know. <laughs> and no, I do. I mean, I do think that obviously there's a lot of numbers in the Bible, and uh, and and seven is, like I said, about as close as you can get to one that we can actually have proof for in terms of its its if it has any biblical meaning. But 
there is a lot of uh, this kind of stuff going out there. But Biltz, in in terms of the Blood Moon thing and this last Blood Moon, it's important to remember that nothing happened, even according to him, nothing actually happened on any Blood Moon day. He went into history and found these things that never actually they, – they were only in the ballpark of the Tetrads. So like the closest he ever got in all the ones that he chose was 10 months away. So, so for example, uh, the Edict of Ahambra or the Ahambra Decree in which the Jews were expelled from Spain is I think one of the Tetrads that he says has relationship to it. And uh, it wasn't a warning of anything because the uh, Tetrads occurred a year after that event. And all of them, all of the tetrads that he cites occurred well after the event. In other words, if there was any kind of pattern to this, which there's not pattern because he's, he, he mixes bad things, you know, the Hamburg dec- decree with good things, the 1967 war of independence and all that stuff. Uh, he mixes them together. So there's no real uh, connection there. But even if there was the, the pattern that he does set, which is the events occurred uh, a 10 months or a year before the first Tetrad even occurred. So by his pattern that he said in his book, we should have already seen the event before the, the Tetrads were never a warning. According to him, they were post the event. They, they, nobody could get warned about it because the event already happened. And then a year later, some Tetrads happens like, Oh, maybe that's what that was about. God was a little late with that warning. If it was in fact a warning. So, the the pattern should be that we've already experienced the event. Um, and and so, no, I don't expect anything to happen on these blood moons or the final blood moon. And I don't expect anybody to really, uh, you know, admit they were wrong about this either. And, and of course, um, you meant the War of Independ- Independence in Israel, 1948 and 67. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 67 was a six-day war. Um, What we'll do, Chris, is I'll put a link to your very, very well-done video, um, the uh, Blood Moon Theory debunked. I'll put a link to that in our show notes. I highly recommend it for anybody that's uh, interested in anything that we're talking about here. Um, Perhaps by the time you've heard this, maybe it will, 28th of September, will have rolled around. But um, if you look at Chris's video, it explains into detail why... The four blood moons theory really, um, you know, possibly shouldn't even come about. Let's, let's just, let's just put it that way. Um, and it doesn't hold a lot of water. It, um, yeah, some of it's interesting, but some of it's not really, not even, you know, too close to the mark of, uh, some of the things suggested. But, but anyway, I'll put a link to that there. Um, one other thing, Chris, um, before I let you go, um, what about the, uh, the idea that the talk about a, um, the total collapse of the dollar? And uh, maybe a um, a new reserve currency is coming um, in October. A lot of this, the talk and, and discussion is about things of, of a financial issue. I just will say this, that um, the thing that has happened in Australia, um, a bit of background, um, we've um, had the second uh, longest ever consecutive economic growth in the world, second only to the Netherlands. Uh, we didn't go into... A recession of any kind. Um, it, the uh, the GFC were the only Western country in the OECD that continued to grow through that, and we still continue to grow as we speak now. Um, we're probably the fiftieth nation by population, but we're about twelfth highest uh, ranking, twelfth ranking in economy. So Australia punches well above its weight 
economically speaking. Now, I gave you that background to say this. About 80 months ago, we were above parity with the US dollar. One Australian dollar would buy a dollar eight US. And in 18 months, we've dropped about 30 to 40%. Um, just the other day, we were at 67 cents. Um, so we've taken a very, very big hit um, as far as the um, the dollar compared to the US goes, right? Uh, 30 or 40% hit in 18 months. Like I said, it was not that long ago our dollar was worth more than yours. Now, that all sounds very bad, especially with the background that I've given you of how well we actually do punch above our weight for the size of the country we are. But a lower dollar is actually better for our exporters. We're a big farm, we're a big mine, and we're a large tourist destination. So having a lower dollar will benefit us because we'll be able to ex export more of, uh, of our minerals that we're pulling up out of the ground. We'll be able to export more of our... Uh, uh, farm goods, you know, uh, we ex export live cattle. We actually export uh, live camels to Saudi Arabia because um, our camels are actually a better quality than you can find in the Middle East. Um, we're uh, one of the uh, best uh, tourist destinations in the world. Our tourism industry has gone a bit flat because the dollar was so high, but we're expecting to see more of you Americans here because um, you're going to get such a better value for your dollar. Now, I say that all of that to point this out, that sometimes a dollar devaluation is not a bad thing. Yeah, um, and I would say that dollar devaluation to a certain extent is going to be expected because, I mean, there's so many factors that go into the worth of the dollar, but one factor, of course, is our, uh, our debt. And, and, uh, as people start to realize how much in debt we are, it's not going to be, uh, um, held in reserve by a lot of countries as they, uh, as that becomes more apparent. So there is going to be a devaluation of the dollar. And indeed, I do think that it's, you know, the, the global idea of a global currency is going to be pushed upon us at some point, sure. whether it comes in a, uh, one fail swoop, you know, something happens where it crashes or if it's just a general decline or some other geopolitical circumstances, there's certainly a lot of people pushing for it. Um, but yeah, and even I would say that I do expect to there to be at least a, some kind of drop in September on these dates in terms of the the stock market or whatever, if for no other reason except it, the these books have been so popular mm -hmm. that and it's being promoted so widely that people are going to take their money out of the stock market and it's going to cause a drop. And, and people will probably see that as a semi-fulfillment of this. But in reality, it will probably go right back up once the more level-headed people <laughs> are going to get deals on stuff because it dropped. And they're going to realize well, the only reason it dropped is because everybody was scared of Jonathan Kahn or whatever. So it'll go right back up. Uh, but I expect that to happen to some, some extent. But, I mean, yeah, I do think that we're on a shaky situation with the dollar and it's going to, you know, eventually, uh, lose its worth. But like you said, it's not going to be, even if it loses its worth, you know, marginally, it's not going to be a bad situation for the world and certainly not going to be a reason that God's going to do anything about anything. So. No, yeah. because, because what you've got to keep in mind, a dollar in Australia is still a dollar. So, I mean, if you get more dollars flowing into this country, that, that, that means we, we're better off. And if our dollar's devalued, which it has, it's gone down, like I say, 35%. 
uh, that's actually good for us in a lot of ways because we get to export more and we get to have more tourists come here. So it's not always a negative thing. Um, I've got no doubt that um, one day there will be a global currency. It just kind of makes sense. I've got no doubt that we will go cashless eventually. It makes sense. I saw the other day uh, in Australia now only about 35 or 40% of all transactions are with cash anymore. Um, everything's, you know, by, you know, a card or, or other, you know, online transactions. Um, so, you know, it's just, if anything, it's like a natural progression. Um, well, yeah, and you know the the reason why um, people don't like it. I mean, it, I mean, there are certain reasons that it would make a lot of sense. Mm. Uh, but the idea, they would say, you know, that's a, what the antichrist is going to do, and you know, it, it's the mark of the beast. I think people that say it's the mark of the beast or something to do with the mark of the beast are just totally wrong. They they are uh, believing that the, but in one sense they're right because that's the reason why people don't like it, including myself, is that. Someday, the Antichrist, the main thing that he's going to do is going to force people to get a mark. And I don't necessarily think it's a chip or whatever. It can just be a mark. But the idea is that if they don't have it, they can't buy or sell. The, uh, the, the concept there is that somehow or another, the Antichrist will have uh, the authority to stop the buying and selling on a global scale. And in order for that to happen, it's not just the that there's a single currency. He could probably do it without a single currency, really. But he does more to the point, he has to have already established authority over everybody in the world to make them do what he says. So that's kind of a long way off from one guy having the authority to make people in uh uh you know uh Sri Lanka or whatever not buy or sell unless they have a mark. And so we're quite a ways off from that. And global currency uh, while it is a, it does make his job easier, is not in itself the mark of the beast. If, if you use that, it, it can't be. That's just nonsensical bad Bible to think that that's what it is. So I, I, I think people need to realize what they're exactly they're afraid of with a single currency. Number one, global governance is what it seems like the Antichrist is going to take control of. So that's a bad thing when we get global governance. Yes, but, yes. But, and it seems, this is very, you know, very subjective, but it seems like there's a global currency um, and it would make him easier to stop buying and selling, but not necessary. So there's a little bit of that. There's one other thing that we didn't touch, GK, oh. that I want mm-hmm. to uh, hit. Uh, a lot of people have the asteroid thing is going to hit in September. And I would just say about that, that it's the same old deal. Um, you know, NASA's covering it up and they're not telling us and so on and so forth. But this is people have to realize that if a two mile wide asteroid is going to hit us in September, it would be the brightest thing in the sky. It would be absolutely huge. And I know and and there's no there there is no method, no possible way that NASA could hide that from the tens of thousands of people with telescopes. And you wouldn't even have to be like looking around like, oh, I want to I want to make sure I checked all the stars to see if they're not comets. You'd be like, hey, what's that brightest object in the sky? That is extremely bright. I think I'm going to look at that. You know, you would yes, be yes. drawn to look at something that all of a sudden you never noticed before. That's but right. hey, now there's a massively bright star in the sky. Uh, I'm going to look at that. And, and of course, the the old thing that they've done with every every one of these impending uh, doom objects is – 
come up with se- several ways to do it. Oh, it's approaching from the southern hemisphere. And that, again, is sort of an American exceptionalism idea. I mean, you'd be able to see it, you know, GK. I mean, right, <laughs> would, right. There, yeah. are, there are people in the southern hemisphere. So, mm. uh, so can, yeah. Can I th- just say, I, where I live, it's, it's pitch black outside and you can't miss a thing because I, I actually do live out in the bush. And uh, if, anything, if I do say anything, I'll let you all know. Yeah, you'd be the sort of a watchman on the wall for the the asteroid this September for right, us. Right. Um just taking a overall view of this list, um, and we've really sort of skimmed through them. I guess we could have done some things deeper, but you know, for sake of brevity, we've sort of gone through them pretty quickly. But overall, what what's your suggestion? What what do you think, Chris? Like I said to you, you know, do we panic or do we pray? What what do we do? Um well I think um I think pray is obviously a a good uh, uh, thing to do in any case. Mm. Um, But if you're scared about this stuff, then um, I think, uh, you know, obviously listening to things like this is good, but, uh, and hopefully it'll help people. But I want, I would like people to be more of a, you know, when they hear something, to always go and check the other side of the story first. To be the kind of person that that's like your immediate reaction is to listen to what what's people that are against this say, because if we you know, the Bible says that the first person to state his case seems right mm-hmm. until he's cross examined. Mm-hmm. Um, so the biblical principle is, you know, you're going to believe a smooth talker. Right. You're going to believe a YouTube video with some scary, you know, Lord of the Rings music in the background exactly. and some text yes. saying and there, and I watched one today about the asteroid, and, and their facts were so wrong. Just basic physics was like the most ridiculous stuff in the world. Mm. But I can just imagine somebody in this music like dun 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 dun, yeah. you know? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Everybody run for the hills, you know? Yeah. Just just be the type of person that types that idea into Google, and then the word debunk or refute mm. or critique or whatever, mm. and find the 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 best smartest person on the other side of the story and this in, this includes stuff that you want to agree with yes. or yes. even something that is uh you know in my uh research and stuff like that even with stuff that i know is true it's beneficial for me to look at the best person on the other side of the story and oftentimes when you really understand what they're saying and what the other person is saying you get a better idea of both things and you become a smarter person for it um and just generally speaking, I think that that's the kind of people we need to be is like that verse um, that says, what, you know, to understand when the first person states his case seems right until the the person cross-examines him. So we need to make sure we're doing that. Right. And, and you know, like you and I aren't doing this as a put down. We're doing this so uh, we can allay people's fears. Um, like, you know, we want to ease the panic, um, if anybody is panicking. And I know from me personally, um, I really wanted to talk about these things because I was that person. I've said it a few times and, you, you know, I don't mind putting my hand up and saying I was that person. And I don't want anybody to be sort of, um, uh, living in fear or running to and fro when there's better things that they could be doing with their time. Um, so that's the real reason I wanted to go over uh, those issues. So um, thank you very much for sharing that with us, Chris. Now, before I let you go, um, I did ask for a scoop at the beginning of the show. So what's coming up next for Chris White? Well, probably whatever I say here is not going to be what I'll be doing, but uh, uh, <laughs> which... Right. But the the few things that I've thought You've about... You've been led astray um, by GK. Just listen to Light yeah. Clint Radio. <laughs> 
but there are because the reason is is because I, I I have these sort of ideas that are half baked and end up usually going with something else. But uh, the the few things I've thought about is doing something more in depth on. Uh, one or more of the cults out there, the major cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, but, and the reason I haven't done that in the past is because when I started doing that research, it was just so, so, uh, uh, intense in terms of you have to know so much more, um, than you do for like these sort of, uh, fly by night things, uh, because they're so ingrained. Um, people that believe that have, you know, retorts to, you know, so many different things that you'd say to disprove them that you really need to get in the mind of them. And in order to do that, a lot of people that do Jehovah's Witness ministries or Mormon ministries successfully are people that are former Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever that, uh, or somebody that has dedicated their ministry to it, um, where that's where they, you know, eat, live and, and breathe Jehovah's Witness, you know, debunking stuff. And so I, I, I haven't done it in the past because I've always had so many other things going that I just didn't have time to, to devote that much time. But now since I have more time, I have been thinking more about doing something like that. I started doing some preliminary stuff and um, still not quite sure if I'll do that. A lot of people are asking about the flat earth thing and doing mm, something yes, about that's yeah. become very popular. Yeah. Um, I I kind of don't want to do that. I mean, I have looked into it and started doing some research in it. Um, the reason is because, well, two things. First, I don't think that it's that that debunking the flat Earth people doesn't do any good. I mean, when I look at the forums, people just are smacking them down, and it's just they just w- keep getting back up and saying, "Well, that's you know fake," or "That's you know uh, yes, that's true." I mean, they have decided to do that and that's not and nothing's going to help them for the most part now there are the people on the fringes that have just been sort of sucked in by you know somebody that they like or whatever has believes it and throws out the the standard stuff and so those people might help but the other reason is that i like to do stuff that can have a, a major impact in um you know somebody's uh life that something that's threatening their um their uh faith and while it would be kind of fun to smack down the flat earth thing in the long run, it really wouldn't do that much good. I mean, because, uh, really I feel like it, if somebody's a devoted flat earth believer, it doesn't really do anything about their faith. I mean, it can, it can make them more susceptible to other stuff, but, um, but really it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with the gospel or Jesus Christ and they can believe those things and be okay. It's just some, in my opinion, dumb thing that they believe. Chris, but um, Chris, can yeah, I ask a ahead. question just just off the cuff? Um, talking about the rapture, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath. Um, does it matter? Does that matter um, as far as someone's salvations goes? Which one they believe? Uh, no, not in, not in terms of their uh, salvation. Or so, is there, any, is there any reason to divide over it then? Uh, no, no, no reason to divide over it. Although, uh, Some people do. You know, well, sure. It is definitely a divisive, uh, issue. Mm. And I do, I do think it's an, more important than something like the flat earth thing, sure. um, for reasons that, you know, people throw out a lot of different, uh, things of why it's important, you know, but, um, I do think it's important at least because the Bible spends quite a bit of time telling people to prepare, uh, themselves for the Antichrist specifically. Right. You right. know, Jesus's explicit teachings were about, um, you know, preparing not to lose faith during that time. Right. And if you 
are convinced that you will not encounter the Antichrist. Now, mm-hmm. I'm making a distinction here as a pre-wrath person from the day of the Lord judgments of, on the, of the wicked people and all the things that happen in the terms of the day of the Lord. We're not going to be here for those. That's pretty, it's pretty obvious. But, in, but the Antichrist comes before the day of the Lord judgments begin. Um, and so we are going to encounter the, the great tribulation, which is a result of the Antichrist persecutions. So there's a huge section of, of scripture that teaches Christians how to endure that persecution. Not just any persecution, but the persecution of the Antichrist. I mean, it does both, but specifically in context of the Antichrist almost always. So, so yeah, there is, in terms of that, I feel like the, uh, certain rapture positions, um, uh, do leave Christians unprepared for a, a huge number of Jesus's teachings about the end times. So I do think that that is a more uh, important thing. And, but, and but, but but really, at the end of the day, it's not something we should divide over. For instance, if you were pre-wrath and I'm pre-trib, you know, I shouldn't, you know, sort of disown you as a brother or, or anything like that. No, uh, not at all. And there's only kind of one version of it that I think might fall into that category is the mm-hmm the no rapture people that think that there will not be a rapture Mm -hmm. because that gets into a no resurrection thing. Um, And if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, then you're kind of Mm -hmm. off the reservation in terms of basic theology. So, so that's the only thing that I think that maybe somebody needs to, you know, that's divisive worthy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like, I like that um, when people seriously debate the rapture, they usually are getting a pretty good handle on um, prophecy issues, which is important. Mm. Um, so it's it's not a bad thing to debate and talk about. But it, in in terms of and and it it gets a little tricky when you get into denominations and churches and stuff like that because um, a good pastor will will be okay okay with uh, people having different views on that. Um, but some pastors tend to look at that as you know you're not following my teachings or whatever, and it gets a little crazy there. Mm. Uh, so, so there's a lot of confusion and, and difficulties in churches and stuff and people dividing over that, but it shouldn't be that way. Right. Yeah. No, look, I tend to agree. I just, um, I just know that, uh, you've got a certain position on it. Um, I guess you must have copped a fair bit of flack over it. And, um, I just wanted to really highlight the point that I don't think it's, uh, an issue to divide over, so that's why I brought yeah, that up. Yeah, well, the, the churches that I uh, have always enjoyed uh, going to, the Calvary Chapel churches, mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. you know vehemently pre-trib, mm. and and they do allow in the congregation to uh, to be uh, you know in, any other view. They don't really like it, but it's not it's not a divisive issue. But it is a divisive issue in terms of being a senior pastor. You okay. cannot be a senior pastor and believe uh, any other view but the pre-trib okay. view. Uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons that, I mean, I, I was always, um, hesitant as a part of that. I mean, a lot of, there were occasions where, uh, you know, um, on the path to be, uh, assistant pastors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I always shunned away from, you know, anything like that because I knew that that would ultimately be an issue there, but. Right. Right. Yes. Okay. All right. Alrighty. Well, um, if you wouldn't mind just telling our listeners where they can find you on the internet. Sure. Uh, yeah. The no, uh, Nowhere to Run Radio is the kind of main hub. And mm-hmm. then BibleProphecyTalk.com is in, is kind of more the Bible prophecy angle. And mm-hmm. you can go to YouTube at uh, 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 Nowhere to Run 1984, spelled no as in K-N-O-W, and K-N-O-W-T-O-R-U-N 1984. Okay. 
All right. What I might do is I'll um, I might put some links in our show notes to um, a couple of your sites, and people can just go there and, and click on them, make it easier. Sure. And also, if you can find that article that uh, Mike Heiser uh, uh, linked on the Shemitah, it might it's got a lot of information there for people to better understand kind of what I was saying about uh, Jonathan Kahn fudging the numbers a little bit. Right. Okay. Well, um, Chris White, thank you for coming back to Like Flint Radio. I've really enjoyed uh, spending this time with you, and I appreciate it. Thank you, GK. Always a pleasure.